John chapter 3, we're going to be picking up in the 31st verse of the third chapter. John says, He that cometh from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. For the, for, I mean, the Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we, with always a heart of thanksgiving for the opportunity to gather together and be in your word. But Lord, I pray that you open our hearts and minds as we navigate through this closing part of chapter 3, understanding and seeing what John the Baptist is trying to proclaim about you. Lord, I pray that you'll pour out your Spirit upon us. May we get a clear view of who you are in such a dark world this morning. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We are coming to a close this week in the third chapter of the book of John. Last week we began to uncover and dive into John the Baptist's response to the concerns of those that followed him. The fear of John the Baptist's followers was that Jesus' ministry was eclipsing the ministry of John the Baptist. John would carefully respond by starting off what we seen last week that John the Baptist would explain to his fathers that only a man's ministry can increase if it is increased from above. He would continue to remind them not, not only is a man's ministry increased if it's increased from above, but he took them back all the way to chapter 1 in the very beginning of his ministry and said, I told you even then, I, I am not the Christ, simply a forerunner. He compared himself last week to the best man at the wedding and kind of closed out that portion of his uh, answers to his followers saying that Jesus Christ must increase and that he must decrease. But though it seems to be a transition here, John the Baptist is still speaking to all who would hear. John the Baptist is, isn't finished 
giving his rebuttal to the concerns of his followers. Here in these last six verses, John continues to explain to his followers the superiority of Jesus Christ. And we ought to all be saying amen in our hearts because there has never been and there will never be another foot who touches this earth who is like our Jesus. In verse number 31, John is giving a lesson on origins to his followers. He said, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Here first, uh, understand this statement that John is giving them. He that cometh in the focus here is from above. He that cometh from above is above all. Understand that this word, this statement here, from above, comes from the Greek word anothen. And why this is so important is this is the same words that Jesus would use when he was speaking to Nicodemus. And he would, when he told Nicodemus that you must be born again. The word anothen means that it's from above. It's from a higher place. It's either from the first or the beginning. So for Nicodemus, when the Lord told Nicodemus that you must be born again, it's to say that you must be born again from above. But here when John the Baptist is referencing this portion with Jesus, it means that John is setting out to explain to his followers that this very man, Jesus Christ, that you see before you, he, he is setting out to explain to them that though you physically see him before your eyes, though he was born in Bethlehem, John the Baptist is striving to bring his followers to an understanding that this is not his beginning. He who is born from above, he said, is above all. He is saying here that Jesus Christ is from above. So therefore, since he is from above, he is above all men. He is above all rulers. He is above all teachers. He is above sin. He is above all powers. There are people today, there are religions today who their leaders set to make stands today as if they have the authority to make new rules and new standards or cause people to follow new beliefs that are contradictory to the teachings of Jesus Christ. What John is setting forth here in verse number 31 is that Jesus Christ is above all. His teachings are superior to all. Therefore, no man's sayings can trump the words of Jesus Christ, so to say. His truth remains above all and for all eternity. Even more, a man whom Jesus says that there is no greater man born of a woman, speaking of John the Baptist, said the best thing I can do as a leader the best thing that John the Baptist believed he could do as a leader was to point people to the teachings of Jesus Christ, was to encourage them 
to follow him. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. Look what John has done here. He has put forth before us two categories. While he exalts Jesus Christ as being superior, while he exalts Jesus Christ from being from above, he humbles himself as earthly. He says, he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of earthly things. This statement really encapsulates everything that John the Baptist has really said thus far. First, notice his statement. He that is of the earth. Oftentimes when we reference the world in the New Testament or when we reference the word earth in the New Testament, it presents the idea, or in the Greek we, we get the word cosmos. We understand that, but what John is using here is not the word cosmos. John is using the word ye, which is different. It is to say that he that is from the dirt, he that is from the soil. But it's also more than that. It's not only speaking of this earthly beginning, but this word ye also produces in our minds the understanding of limitations. He that is of this, or he that has limitations in this life. Meaning, he's referencing himself to say, those who are finite, for those of us who are not infinite, which is not what Christ is, Christ is infinite, but for those who are finite, for those of us who have limitations, for those of us who cannot create something out of nothing, not only are we limited, but he says, for those who are of the earth, we are earthly. Meaning that there is a huge difference between who we are and who Christ is. Christ is from above. He is above all. He is above sin. But for those who are finite with limitations, born into this world, uh, we have sin in our lives. We behave earthly. Even more, he would go on to speak of their behavior for those who behaved earthly. It is to say that he is that is born of both flesh and blood behaved like others. These people who have limitations, they have sin problems. It was for this same reason that John would begin to preach. It was for this same reason that John the Baptist would call sinners to repent. And by the way, his preaching was so bold. His preaching was so persuasive that the people who heard it believed that this preaching has to be the preaching of none other than Elijah. And yet in the midst of all of these people flocking to him, in the midst of all of these people flocking to John to be baptized, in all of that, John says, listen, I am here, but I'm nothing more than an earthly man with the same finite limitations and struggles with sin in our lives. But that is the difference between me and this man, Jesus Christ. I told people to repent. I told people the Messiah was coming. And we were able to baptize with water. I believe this is the emphasis of the last part of that verse 
when he says that um, he that cometh from above is above all, and he that is uh, he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. It is to say that John said, I'm of the earth. I have finite. I'm limitations. And by the way, I do earthly things. The difference between Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, John said, I came, I preached the gospel, I pointed to Jesus, and I did earthly things. I was able to do water baptism. But Jesus Christ, there's difference. There's a difference between me and him. While I baptized with water, he can baptize with the Holy Spirit. While I do earthly things, I'm only pointing you to Christ. But Christ alone can save. He's the only one that can redeem you. He's the only one that can call you out of darkness into marvelous light. Jesus alone saves. And when you understand that, he says, and he that cometh from heaven is above all. He has given us a simple biology lesson that says that mankind is doomed in sin, but he who is from heaven in, in well, you want to say we, we would call this the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came into this world. Yes, born of a virgin, but it was not his beginning. And he is above all. Look at verse 32. He says, and he hath seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. I mean, we can begin to understand why John said he must increase and I must decrease. But he says here in verse number 32, and I want you to understand why I said he is above all. And you can see it in verse number 32. And what he has seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. What he hath seen and heard. John is saying what Jesus Christ is given to you all is not secondhand information. He heard this from his father as he dwelt in unity in heaven. As he dwelt there, this is not secondhand information, but Jesus Christ is the source of divine revelation. Who this Jesus who once dwelt in heaven can now testify. We can remember what the author of Hebrews would say. And he, uh, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. But there's also tragic news in this text. Though, according to John chapter 7 and verse 46, they had never heard a man speak like this. According to John chapter 7, though, they had never seen anyone work miracles like this. They had never heard someone speak with so much authority. Yet verse 32 speaks of the hardness of people's hearts. And what he hath seen and heard that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. Despite the miracles, 
despite all of what we've seen so far, despite turning the water into wine and the miracles that we don't know how many untold miracles that he performed that day in the temple. Despite all of that, there were people and no man receiveth his testimony. Now, I want you to understand that it was John's opinion that some would truly receive his testimony, in which we'll see in coming verses. But let's pause for a moment and, and understand something. This is a clear understanding that, and we ought to take it as a warning, whom we get our information from. Because we've seen that John's disciples just a few verses back were saying, John, Jesus' ministry is busting at the seams. They're expanding. They're doing great. All men are following after Jesus. I mean, look at his ministry. Look how magnificent and wonderful it is. Yet just a few verses later, John says, And no man receiveth his testimony. You see, the opinions of John's disciples was that ministry was booming. And in reality, on the outside, though it seemed like it was booming, there was many people who was following Jesus in that day who had not truly received his testimony. We ought to be careful about how and who we get advice from or even ministry advice from because there are churches that spring up all the time and it seems that for a while they're bursting at the seams but then you know they're having to do a new event i mean crossroads just this past whatever christmas they had donkeys and horses running around inside the church and apparently if you have donkeys and horses inside your church you'll make it to the channel five news but on the other side of that is that we have to be careful who we take advice from and saying this is what you have to do that burst at the seams because John's sentiment about the situation is that his heart was grieved because in reality, people had not received Jesus Christ's testimony. That's what this is all about. It's not about filling the pews. It's not about entertaining. It's not about anything. It's about people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And no man, it says, received his testimony. When John looks at this situation, he gives a, a tragic diagnosis that in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of this group, no one had truly received his testimony. John is saying that the majority of these people who had followed Christ were actually unconverted, which still brings an interesting thought, does it not? Because last week when we were speaking about this matter, when we look back at verse number 22, I think it was, it says, and after these things, Jesus came, uh, Jesus and his disciples, uh, um, Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, or came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. It kind of brings us to the understanding that there were people 
during this time who were following Jesus, who were following him for the wrong reasons. And it even brings us to a more understanding that there were people who truly did not believe the testimony of Jesus Christ who were being baptized. They didn't truly receive it. On the outward side, they professed a good thing. They said that they wanted to follow him because, you know, the miracles, because he could feed people and because of all of these great things. But inwardly, they had not placed faith in who Christ was. I think it further points to the reality that uh, there were some who had come, who had testified that they wanted to follow Jesus, but they were only looking for what he could do for them. Even more, I think this is the same testimony that we've seen in, in, in the chapter 1, I believe it is, in verses 9 through 11, when, Je- uh, when John the Baptist said that, he says, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, in his own received him not but here John says there were some there were some that truly came to him but the majority of those they didn't come to this true knowledge of him but there were some that had trusted in him and look at what verse 33 says he that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true Though many rejected him, though it seems that the overwhelming majority rejected him, we see as the gospel uh, progresses on in all of the gospels, the synoptic like that, as you move forward, you see that the crowd stopped following Jesus. But here he says that there was some that had received his testimony and has set his seal that God is true. Now, this statement that we see here that set his seal that God is true, you can make more sense of this when you apply it in the Old Testament thought process. Remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and Darius put his seal upon it most of the time. It was a signet that they would put upon the stone to be rolled away or whenever one of the kings would put their signet upon it, it was signing to say that this is right. So he says here in Verse 33, he that hath received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. I guess in today's terminology, it would be that we signed off on it. So he says, he that hath received his testimony hath signed off with his seal that God is true. What, what, in what aspect is this that we're signing off on? We're signing off on the reality that God sent his son into the world. Born of a virgin. That Jesus Christ is truly the son of God. That the message that he brought into this world was a message of hope. And that he was born and though he lived for 33 and a half years a sinless, spotless life, he would die a substitutionary death on Calvary's hill for our sin and would be buried in three days later rise again. It is to say that we have put our seal of faith that we believe that is a true testimony. That we believe that is exactly what happened. There are religions today that 
believe that they are going to heaven, such as Jehovah Witness. They do their very best. They fire the neighborhood. To, to I think, a shame of many faiths, many times when I see car doors open and people getting out and going door to door, I know it's Jehovah's Witness. And listen, though they faithfully labor, though they faithfully fire, Though they will try to give you scriptures and pamphlets and so on and so forth, they do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe that Jesus Christ was actually Michael the archangel. And in return, all of their labor is void. And their message is a message of no hope. It's a message of death. Because in in faith in that message, You have not put your seal on God's testimony that he sent forth his son. Verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The one who was sent here. This is like John the Baptist shoring up any questions that you have in your mind. He says, Christ was sent here, and he spoke the words of God with the authority of God because he is God. And the Spirit, he says here in this last part, for God hath, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. This means The Spirit wasn't given to him with limitations. Now, you think back in the Old Testament, how many times we read in the Old Testament that when, um, you could say when um, Saul, Saul is a good example, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Saul. But then what happened? Saul sinned. Then the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And oftentimes throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, you'll see that the Holy Spirit did not continually dwell upon people in the Old Testament because there was a sin problem. See, Saul's sin caused the Spirit to depart from him. But what John the Baptist is saying here is that in this time in which Christ has come, because he was without sin, because there wasn't a sin issue, God poured out the Spirit upon Jesus Christ without measure. I mean, he embodied the full power of the Spirit. Upon him, all fullness of deity dwelt. There was no limits to his power. But look here in these last two verses. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Let me think about this statement here. As John the Baptist is speaking to his disciples, he delivers a stern warning about their faith. He says in closing to his followers, God has put all things in Jesus' hands. I'm certain at this time, 
John's disciples probably felt about this big because in the beginning of this, they was worried about how Jesus's ministry was expanding and John is in return telling them that God has put all things in his hand. And the last, this last statement clearly states what is implied in the last couple points. Because of God's love for his son, John says God has given him the supreme authority over everything, both in heaven and in earth. John said that he has absolute authority. And soon, John's own ministry, maybe in John's heart, he knew that his ministry time was coming to an end because soon John's ministry would fade completely out of the scene. Soon Herod Antipatus would have uh, John arrested and thrown in jail. Uh, Herod was the ruler of Galilee. And before long, John the Baptist would be beheaded. But here's the invitation Mixed with a stern warning, it's an invitation and a warning that John gives. This is what he, he tells his disciples who were questioning Jesus' ministry. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He says, Look, you're, you're questioning his ministry, but if you do not believe in him, if you do not believe on him, you're not even going to have everlasting life. You're sitting here worried about my ministry and I can't save you. You need faith in him, not faith in me. My ministry was all to point you to him. But if you believe in the son, then you have everlasting life. But you know what I love about this verse? It's not spoken of in the future tense. See what he says. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. This is not a future hope. This is a present tense. That even here in 2023, that if you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a present hope in an everlasting life. You have a present hope because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a present possession today if you believe in Jesus Christ that he is the son of God and that he lived this sinless and spotless life and died on the cross performing a substitutionary death he didn't die in the aspect of this faith when you look to the cross you're not thinking about his death for others but you believe that he died in your stead he died in your place we have the comfort of eternal life but also notice this Grim alternative. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Notice also the tragedy of the present tense. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. This is a current situation. It's a present situation. For those who have not found shelter 
not found hope in the blood of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's diagnosis is that the wrath of God is upon your life. That you will not see everlasting life. It continuously abides upon the disobedient sinner. So in closing, let me make a statement to drive this message home. The followers of John the Baptist were doing ministry and the leader of this ministry, John the Baptist, understood the importance of Jesus Christ and he understood why he was here on earth doing ministry. He understood who Jesus was, but also understand in the boldness of John the Baptist preaching, in the boldness of his proclamation. I mean, remember, it was so powerful. They thought he was the prophet Elijah. I mean, this was bold preaching. But even in the midst of this bold preaching, there was deep confusion about who Jesus was. I think this is a warning to each and every one of us that you can sit underneath faithful preaching week after week, year after year, that's faithful to the word of God, faithfully ex expositionally handling the word of God and yet find yourself in a place where you have not truly come to the understanding of who Jesus is to you. You can be involved in ministry following Jesus and find yourself caught up looking at how other people's ministries are doing, which I believe is a warning that our eyes are in the wrong place. But here, John gives this final warning it, it, really at the close of John the Baptist's ministry, his final warning to his followers is saying, listen, not only do you need to look to him, but you need to run to him because in me there is no hope. I pray that in each and every one of our hearts that there is absolutely zero confusion about who Jesus is to you that there is absolutely zero confusion about your desperate need of Jesus Christ. And if you're here in this building today and have never repented of your sins and never turned to Christ, the Bible says that the wrath of God abides on you now. But when you hear this gospel, when you hear this message, this message, as we, we covered a couple weeks ago, it is not a message of condemnation. The Bible states that we were condemned already in our sins. If the gospel message was never preached to you, it doesn't change your physical condition. It doesn't change your need of Christ. You are just in desperate need of Christ and don't know the path to get there. This gospel message is a message of hope that lays down a path of understanding for the unbeliever to find his way to eternal life. And that eternal life 
is found only in Jesus Christ alone. And that is why we live each and every day recognizing the superiority of Jesus Christ. He is above all things in our life because in him and him alone is the salvation of sinners. And who would we be to boast about ourselves in such a wicked world as if we could do something to make wicked man right with righteous God? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and magnify your name for this opportunity again to be in your word and be in the house of God and worship you, Lord. I, I thank you for your word and what it does in my life, and I pray that we continue to study your word and allow this to conform us further into your image, Lord. But Lord, our plea is this morning, if there's someone in this building who has never truly repented of their sins and placed their faith in you, Lord, that today they will see their need of you and that you will pour your spirit upon them and they will make haste to you this morning. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Three, four.